get that shit off your chest. It's okay to talk. It's okay to share your feelings. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be vulnerable. It is okay. You're a fucking human being. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. I am going to keep trying. 2021 is here and we've got a few goals. I want to share them with you. Goal number one, by the end of this month, we're looking for 500 downloads a week. We want more people in more places to hear these stories. We want to get to a hundred countries by spring. We're 19 away. Again, more people, more places. We want 50 ratings on Apple. That may sound a little silly, but more ratings, more people. So if you listen on Apple, please take a moment and rate this podcast. And finally, we want 100 episodes. We do one episode a week. So by the end of 2020, we should be at that number or really, really close. If my math is correct. Thank you very much for your support since we started this podcast in July. Now, we are talking about suicide. So this may not be a good fit for everyone. Please take that into account before you listen. I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. You can reach out hello at suicidenoted.com or you can message us on Twitter or Facebook at Suicide Noted. Today I am talking with Jacques. Jacques lives in New York State. And he is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Jacques, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. Uh, no, I'm not really good. That's bullshit. I'm okay. We're all okay, I think. We're just uh, sort of surviving, just trying to muddle through this uh, crazy world we're living in now. For sure. For sure. The great majority of the people who attempt suicide are not talking about it publicly. One of the reasons for this podcast is to reach out to people who are willing to do it. And I've learned a lot in the past, like six months of it's hard to find people, Jacques. <laughs> it's hard to find people who want to talk about it for understandable reasons. And you, I want to understand better why you're okay or how you came to be okay with talking about something that so few people talk about. Thank you for having me on your show, Sean. Someone that's lived through it is the best teacher or the best guide through that journey, whatever you're going through, because you know, I've said all along that I have a lot of respect for people that go to school and get degrees in psychology and psychiatry, and that's fine. Yeah. But they tend to talk at you. Mm. They don't listen as much, you know, and that's not demeaning them for any reason. But if you haven't lived through it truly, you can't understand it. Like if someone was to say to you, hey, Sean, listen, I get where you're coming from. I know exactly how you feel. Eh, do you? I hate when but, they do that. Yeah. and But, you know, someone that's actually been through it can honestly say, I at least say I've been there. 
So I know what, you know, I understand what you're going through. Not I know, but I understand what you're going through. You know, for me to open up, I just think that it's, especially with men's mental health and where we're at with it. And, you know, that statistic that I share with everybody that 520,000 men globally a year commit suicide. That's a proven fact. 500 and just half a million men a year globally commit suicide. Now, how many people try? You don't have the numbers on that because they're not really, you can't really know, but it's millions and millions every year. 520,000 commit suicide every year, men. Not women, not children, nothing else, just males. Just men. And you, at least one year, were one of them who tried, at least. Obviously, you didn't succeed, for lack of a better word. One attempt or more than one attempt on your end? I I had two attempts over... uh two-year period, I think. Are you cool with sharing with me and the listeners about them, however you want to do that? I like to say that I've lived through the mental health minefield. And I mean, I'm almost 50. I'm 49. I'll be 50 uh, in April. So we'll mm-hmm. take it back to grade school when I was bullied for two separate years by two separate uh, young men. I uh, never understood why. I was a great student. I was brought up in a Catholic church. My mother was Italian. So I lived in an Irish-Italian neighborhood, middle-class a uh, good student. I was good in sports. I like to think I was a, a decent looking kid. So I never understood why these kids ridiculed me. I mean, literally chased home, physically abused, verbally abused, stuffed in trash cans, the whole gamut, anything that you can, can withstand within that bullying confine. I you know, endured that from two separate kids for two years. So that was about fourth and fifth grade. So fourth grade by one young man and then fifth grade by another man. So I don't know if I was just a, a glutton for abuse and punishment or or what, but somehow, some way, you know, we yep. got through that and went through middle school. So we'll stay about eighth grade, going into ninth to start a new experiment with, you know, alcohol. I was ninth grade. I was going through a liter and a half of Southern comfort a day. The ramifications from being bullied was part of it. But, you know, I started doing that. I was about five days a week, not seven days, but still five days a week. I was, you know, drinking constantly and, uh, you know, progressing through high school into, as we go into 10th and 11th grade, I started to experiment with, uh, I skipped right over marijuana and went right to cocaine. Uh, about half an eight ball to an eight ball every couple of days. Now that begs the question, at least for me, is how does a kid that age afford that drug? No judgments, uh, just curious. No, no, listen, listen, you just, um, I grew up in Albany. So, I mean, if you know the area, I mean, I grew up in Albany. So I hung out in Arbor Hill, which is a sort of a rougher section. South end of Albany was a rougher section. You can find it. If you need it, you can yeah. find it. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, there, there was ways to find it and there was friends that did it. And it was just real easy to, uh, to, to come by through high school to, uh, 91. I lost my mother to cancer. She was 47 years old mm-hmm. and my mom and I had a, a very strong bond. And I think that was flipped a switch in me, had a lot of rage issues, got into a lot of fights, got in a lot of trouble, mm-hmm. hurt a lot of people through the drugs, through losing my mom. I was on the borderline of a mild PTSD, but also suffering from depression. So depression was about high school age till, I mean, I still battle with it nowadays here and there. I catch my, catch myself falling into those traps every once in a while. Suicide attempts weren't until later on in life after just a lot of challenges. You know, I guess the, uh, the addiction, losing my mom, the bullying, Mm -hmm. losing some other loved ones. Uh, uh, so the first attempt as we progress later in life was a mm-hmm. um, very aggressive attempt. I tried to slit my own throat. Wow. I came to the real, I was actually dating my now wife and uh, dating. Uh, this was only about five months into us dating. And 
I was sitting in the apartment. I had my own apartment. I lived with a friend of mine. I had gotten divorced uh, from my first wife, which was a really bad marriage. It was just, we, we got married because we had kids. I'm not going to bad mouth her. She was a good mother, but I was a bad husband. She was a bad wife. We just didn't love each other. There was no love there. Mm-hmm. And it was constant fighting in front of the kids, the, the mental and verbal abuse that she would dish out. And I gave it back as far as the verbal abuse. It just wasn't, wasn't a good situation. So with everything going on, I was in the apartment one day and my girlfriend, now wife, uh, mm-hmm. was in the apartment. I went out to the kitchen, grabbed a knife, went out onto my deck, sat down on the chair without even thinking, stuck the knife to my throat, had the point of the knife into my throat. And she came barreling in out of the house. And I don't even know why I didn't tell her anything. So she just all of a sudden came out, uh, grabbed my wrist with both hands and started to talk me down by saying, uh, Nicholas needs you. My sons, Nicholas needs you. Tyler. So a lot of people, when they go through this, people will say the world needs you. It's very generic. It's very, it doesn't bring you out of that, that dark place. When you start bringing names in, you associate the faces with the names. And all of a sudden it, it started to bring me, I took about 10 to 12 minutes, if I remember correctly, wow. to bring me back to where I was. Had she not gotten there, do you think you might've gone through with it? I mean, I guess we'll never know, but what, what does your memory say? Well, thinking thinking back, I think if I was to that level and the level that I remember myself being at, if she wasn't there, I probably wouldn't be here. Wow. And that's why I, I always say to this day, you know, I, as I said to you, and we'll talk a, you know, a little bit about the foundation that I created yeah. and, and what, what I did without that, you know, people say to me, well, you know, everything that I did and where I've come, I said, listen, without my wife, my organization, would, I would never, wouldn't be here. You know, my yeah. sons would be without a father, my, you know, girl now wife would be without a husband. I thank God that she did stop me. You know, we never talked about it after the fact. We sort of brushed it under the rug after, you know, she had talked me down, finally released me. I still had, you know, I had the 10, 12 minutes on her about the second time was pills and drugs. So I was a little bit less extreme, but still fell into a deep hole again about a year, year and a half later. And if I remember correctly, I had taken it before we left somewhere. I literally passed out in the car from what I remember her telling me, just passed out completely. She said I wasn't even breathing and she had to pull the car over the side of the road and get me to come back. So mm-hmm. yes, both attempts she saved, she saved me both times. Yeah. So you didn't go to the hospital the second time. No, I didn't go to the hospital either time, you know, and I probably yeah. should have, you know, as far as, you know, the mental aspect of it and, and what triggered it and why it happened. You know, I still don't know to this day the, the first attempt, what was the actual that little nudge over the edge? I mean, there's a lot going on. And as I said, going through the divorce and having to, you know, leave my, my kids. And that was the hardest thing was to tell my sons, daddy had to leave the house. And you know, yeah. that, that ripped the heart out of my chest. That was one of the worst days in my entire life. And they, they were younger at the time. And I had to tell them that, you know, daddy had to leave and it still resonates with me to this day. So I think that could have been one of the tipping points, knowing that I couldn't be around my kids all the time. I mean, I, I was a devoted father. I, I made everything, sporting events, PTA, everything. I love being a dad and it literally crushed me. I bet. I was doing a podcast for a while. Um, I'll get back into it. But uh, a friend of mine, we had a podcast on and my viewers wanted my wife to come on. My wife's not as extroverted as I am. And and they wanted to hear her side of the story. So I asked her, I said, Hey, you know, honey, how do you feel about coming on the podcast and and sharing what you went through as the, you know, the other half of the support system? And she said, sure, you know, I'll, I'll come on. So we started talking about it. And why I'm talking about this is because it's the only podcast I ever cried on. So mm. we're getting through it. And the, the guest or the host was, is a good friend of both of ours. He's known both of us since we got together. So 16, 17 years, we started talking about some things and uh, he stopped me and he said, can I ask Katrina a question? And I said, sure. So he looked at my wife and he said, can I ask you 
what made you stay? And the reason he asked that is, as I said to you, we were only together five months, right. you know, when the, when the first attempt happened. So she looked at him and then she looked at me and she said, because I saw something in him and I knew I couldn't live without him. Now here's a woman that's only known me for five months. Mm. And I was blown away because someone that's been through what I've been through or anything close, I didn't deserve her love. I didn't deserve a woman like that. I never thought I deserved a woman like that or the love and compassion that she's shown me over the last 15 years to find someone that genuine, that caring after five months that knew that my life meant something that being without me would affect her life in a negative way. I was blown away and speechless. I literally broke down on the podcast. I was, it was one of the highest rated podcasts that I did. I mean, it had like 15 to 20,000 views. I mean, people were just chiming in and they were, you know, amazed at her courage, you know, to come on and share that, but just the love that a woman has for, you know, or any human being has for another human being for that matter. was just, it just blew me away. Game changer. It, it was, it definitely set me up for where I am today. So. I'm always curious, is there a why? And I think you, you kind of answered it as best you can, right? Because you were in your, what was it, your early 30s? Mm-hmm. Sort of that history, that difficult history, but you didn't really figure out yet, and maybe you never will, why that particular day you took the knife or that year later or whatever it happened to be with, with the pills. And like, why then? You know, I do think back and and I, I've always wondered how I came to that point, you know, and, and that was yeah. one of the things that, I mean, I always consider myself and I don't mean, but from a physical aspect, I just mean, I've always been a strong hu- a human being. I'm not just, I don't want to say male because I'm just, I'm a strong human being. I mean, my father raised me that way. I've just, I've always been a solid individual. Yeah. And for me to look back and know that I came to the point where something was so bad, something was, I don't want to say that it was wrong because people want to sit there and say, well, there's something wrong. You're odd. You're weird. or something different. You're wired differently. That's not the case. You know, there's a lot of trauma in my life, losing, you know, my, as I said, losing my mother, going through that divorce, not losing yeah. my kids, but having to walk away from my kids, the addiction. I'm 25 years clean from drugs now, bullying, all, you wrap all that into it. And yep. it just, it just compounds the issues. So the ironic thing was uh, maybe two years ago, I had a sort of a relapse, not to the point where I tried, but I thought about it. And mm. I had a friend come over that deals with mental health issues. A good friend of mine came over and we started talking. I, we, uh, I was listening to him. He's another male, a little bit younger than I am. We started talking about things. I felt good. Then we started talking about parents. Well, I lost my dad in 2013 too. So both parents being gone, he left. And I went out in my, my backyard into our gazebo in our pool area. And I just sat there for myself and something, I don't know what creeped in. And I basically took all of our, we have those heavy wrought iron furniture. I took everything. I literally destroyed everything on the pool. I went through this rage and my wife was inside sleeping on the couch. So she had no idea what was going on. Here I am. I'm throwing the chairs over the fence. I'm throwing them across the yard. I just, I was angry. And I don't, I still to this day don't know what it was. Was it the, the memories of my parents? Was it things that were brought up? So what I did was I don't like to share a lot of things. I put on social media because I have a big following, sort of like you do. And I said, is anyone around? I need help. That's all I put out there. I had two of my closest friends. One dropped everything was here within five minutes. The other one is a retired Marine. He's trying to call my wife, 911, pick up the phone. Because I was actually thinking to come in my house, grab my shotgun and and blow my head off. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I know it's graphic. It's whatever. But I knew where the shotgun was. I knew where because my wife hides hides them just for, you know, obviously past reasons. It's not for anything else that she worries. but out of sight, out of mind type of thing. But I thought about it and 
Uh, my friend Jason came over and he, the way he approached me was very good. He just came up very nonchalantly and he goes, Hey bro, I was sitting in the chair and he goes, what's going on? Are you good? Is everything okay? Are you okay? Yep. And he sort of like brought me down and my other friend, John, the retirement, he came up and they didn't come at me. A lot of people like to just come right at you, grab a hold of you, hug you. They just stood their distance. We talked for about an hour. Then of course I could see my wife looking out the window and you know, we had gotten me down from that level. Later on that night, I came in and I showered and I literally grabbed my wife and I broke down and I cried. And I said, honey, I can't explain it because I don't understand why. And I'm so sorry. And anytime I talk about my, I'm right now, I'm, I'm actually welling out now because it's very hard because she feels so on the outside looking in because she doesn't know how to help me. And I don't know how to tell her how to help me. Yeah. And that's the hardest thing when you're dealing with mental health in any capacity is that we don't know a lot of times those triggers are what happened to make us think that way. So how do we reach out for help? That's what people ask a lot of questions. How do you reach out for help? How do we know? I didn't know at that point. Yeah. The other thing that you shared that I think is so powerful and a, a reminder is I think whether it's dealing with suicide or suicidal ideation or addiction, you're kind of never entirely clear. Mm -hmm. It could be years later. It's a good reminder, like years later, all the work. We'll talk about some of the work you're doing, supportive wife, kids. You that seem helps. like you're in good health. I don't know if I'm correct about that, but I'm looking at you here. I seem to be. I feel good, so let's hope so. But yet, you had this moment where, you know, wanted to go inside and thought about putting a bullet in your head. So it's like, wow. And, you know, when, when I do share the story, and I've shared this story on several podcasts, yeah. on a couple of national radio shows, you know, people, I never understood why people wanted to hear it. And some of the, the people such as yourself, you know, the host would say, because you survived it and you came out on the other side of it to do what you're doing with the, with your organization. And it's not a success story. It's, I call it my rising from the ashes story. So when people yeah. say, oh, I can't get out of this hole, I can't, you know, come back from this, listen. I've been as far down as you possibly can go. Seriously. I mean, yeah. you're at, you're at t trying to take your own life. You are at the bottom of bottom. the barrel. Yep. I always say to people, if I can help save one life a day, then I've done my part. <laughs> it could be something that you say. It could be something that, that resonates with somebody. You yeah. know, the way I approach one-on-ones or group meetings, I do a lot of support groups here. And the first thing I say to them is what worked for me may not work for you, but it's something you can use as a guideline. And yeah. I can, you know, give you the steps and you can try one step at a time. And if it doesn't work, we can always reassess it and move on to something else, but at least try these things. This is what helped me get through. And that's what helps other people deal with depression and addiction and and my answer is not always going to be the right answer. And I'm, you know, I'm not here to say that it is, but I truly believe that it can help people. If they do listen and put the work in, you can overcome anything. Do you ever get counseling therapy? I, yeah, I do have a, I have a friend of mine that's a double major in psychology and religion, a really good friend of mine that I reach out and bounce a lot of things off of. And I have another friend that I have one-on-one -on -one sort of chat sessions to sort of, you know, get everything off of my chest. And I know it doesn't go past that individual, right. not that I'm, you know, not that I hide anything, but it's a good way. It's another man. And that goes back to this whole mental health thing. Us as men don't want to burden our other halves, whatever it is, your life partner, your wife, whatever, with our issues. And we feel like we're not doing our job as a man, as a father, as a husband, if we keep putting our shit on our wives, but we have to open up. My wife and I have a very good relationship because every day I come home from work and I'm not shitting you every single day. How was work? Now I can say to her, it was a good day. It was a bad day. I don't want to talk. And she'll ask me, do you want to talk about it? You know, maybe I'll say not right now. She's like, okay, we'll revisit it later. Now, when we talk about it, 
she goes, do you want me to listen? Do you want my opinion just to be in the moment? And she's awesome. very good at it. I mean, she's, again, we're like, you know, the old right. adage, I guess, is kindred spirits. But I, I believe that we've been through a lot of shit. She's had a lot of loss in her life. She's had some traumatic experiences before me. And I think that's what makes us a strong, cohesive unit. And we can get through anything together. I absolutely love the intentionality of those conversations and not making the assumption that because you're sharing something, you want my advice, for example. But maybe you do, but I'm going to ask you. I can just listen. Jock, that alone would save lives if people entered into conversations with a little more. This is just what I think. I don't know if you mm-hmm. agree. A little more intentionality. If you want my opinion, I'll give it. If not, I won't. I'll, I'll listen. Yeah. If you want my thoughts on something, I'll tell it. If not, I'll listen. It sounds small. And my, f- oh man, it's so not small. No. It's, it's so it, fucking large. I always like to tell men that, you know, accept yourself as a complete human being. And they look at me and they go, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you have masculine and feminine energies. And they go, well, wait a minute. I'm not a woman. I didn't say that. Sure. You have a, you have masculine and feminine qualities. The masculine quality is being your protector, your provider, being the epitome of strength for your family. The feminine quality is you're a deeper thinker, your loving, compassionate side. We'd be able to accept that vulnerability and allow people into your world. What I did is one day I went out with three of my fr- guy friends. You know, we started those conversations, you know, hey, you know, Lakers are doing this or the Yankees or whatever it was. So I stopped the conversation halfway through. And I go, oh, guys, I said, listen, I'm having an issue with work. So we start. So now everyone gets quiet at the table. I started to talk. I don't even remember what it was, but I started to get into him. So like, I'm really down. I'm going home. You know, I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm mentally not there for my wife. And I could see that they were listening. So when I did it, another guy had yep. some issues with his kids. He started yep. to bounce. Another friend. And we were close. Now I had all three of these other guys, gentlemen, talking about their wives, their children. And I'm like, this is great. This is what we need. And they felt a lot better. They were like, wow, never thought I'd have a conversation like that. No, because it takes one person to just plant the seed. It just yep. takes one of us to say, it's okay yep. to talk about these things. It's okay. It's almost like it's it's so close and you need that person to sort of model it or do it first. And I don't know if the words give permission, but whatever it is, it's like, Oh wait, okay. He did it. I like him. I trust him. I'll share. It's not that far away. You know what I mean? I don't know if I have the words around. It's like, it's like on this, it's almost there. It's almost like so many men just sit there and they go, I'd love to talk, but I'm not sure how my friends are going to react or how this guy. Yeah. So you just have to, you know, go into it with an open mind. So the, like the part of the, the conscious men's group, we call it. I got the idea from a group in Australia. That's what it's called, the conscious men's brotherhood. You know, they go out on these, you know, these day hikes. They go up in the mountains. They do what they call primal screams. They go up and these guys will go up one at a time on a rock. They just, they just scream, they scream, they yell, they beat their chest, they cry. They just let it all out. And if more of us men let that out, that's why we have rage issues. We have domestic violence problems. We have abuse in the households because we hold so much inside that at some point it's going to boil over. Yeah, we need- to have those conversations with our other halves. I don't care if it's a sibling, a parent, your wife, your children, whatever it is, get that shit to all the men out there, get that shit off your chest. It's okay to talk. It's okay to share your feelings. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be vulnerable. It is okay. You're a fucking human being. That's it. You're a human being. Accept yourself as a human being. Forget the alpha male complex. Nobody gives a shit. The tough guy shit doesn't matter anymore. I don't care how tough you think you are. I got to have a beard and be 300 pounds and bench press 400 pounds of gym. That's great. But yeah. how is the rest of your, how, how is your mental health? How yeah. is your life at home? How, how are all those other aspects? Are they going to talk about that? That's the key. Can you get them to talk about it? Like I was saying, when we first started talking, most people, whether they've tried to end their lives or not, it could, it extends beyond just attempt survivors. 
they're not so quick to share. You know, they're just not. But it takes time, and it's it's a, it's it's not a magic pill, and it's not going to happen tomorrow. It takes time, and people hearing this podcast and all the other amazing things that people do and the work you do. And were you or are you an ideator? I want to say, and again, trying to think back that far, as far as the suicide attempt, I don't know that it was in there for any amount of time. I do remember being a snap assist, sort of like I was sitting on the couch. The TV wasn't on. I forgot what my, my wife was doing or girlfriend at the time. And I just made my mind up in that decision. I, I just got up. I don't even know if I was present in my own mind, if that makes sense. If I was even coherent in my own abilities at that point, I just got up. It was almost like a, it was meant to happen. I went out, I grabbed the knife, mm. I sat on the porch, stuck the knife in my throat and was going to go for it. And here she wow. appeared, literally stormed out the door. So I don't No, I don't think I thought about it, you know, for days or weeks. There wasn't any right. of that. It was just right. Bam. You're clearly okay talking about it. So I assume a good number of people know about your stuff, what you've gone through, what you survived and so on, right? Mm -hmm. I also wonder how do people respond? So you gave a great example of how your friends came over and the way they engaged with you was really helpful for you. I also find that a lot of things people say can be very harmful and they're well-intentioned. They're not like assholes are trying to fuck with you. They're like your sister or your friend and they say these things. So Long-winded question here is, were there people in your life that said or did things that weren't helpful? Well, I mean, the first thing you're going to get from some people are, I, I can't believe that you did that. Okay. Why would you do that? You know, without even understanding, I mean, because the first thing is they want an answer and I couldn't give them an answer. And I, and I did have specific people that did ask that. I, most, of the, most of the responses, honestly, and here's the thing, the only people that knew about my first attempt was my, my wife. Mm -hmm. And I think one of my sons and one of my friends, actually the guy that I live with, uh, my roommate, Rich, uh, other than that, when I was doing a live Facebook video or something, I was talking about something else with mental health and it accidentally, I'm going to say it accidentally slipped out where I mentioned something about take and I sort of paused in live video and I said to myself, you know what, it's already out there. I'm going to put it out there and see what happens. So I went on to tell what I told you a little bit about not getting into the, the graphic part of it, but just that I had tried to, to take my own life on multiple occasions and the outpouring of emails and message, everyone was blown away because they yep. said to me, wow, every time we see you on a, you know, a zoom thing or a live video, you're always, you know, you're always talkative. You seem good. You're bouncing around. But I go back to what Robin Williams always said. I always hold this clear. It says you wear many faces. It's the faces of the clown and, and comedians are the best known for it. Think about it. Chris Farley, John Belushi, Robin Williams, go down the list. Yeah. They hit everything behind their comedy. They could make everyone else laugh in the world, but behind closed doors, they suffered. Yep. And that was sort of like what I did. I can do all of this. I can talk to you. I can do all this. But back then, if I did this, five minutes later, I'd be curled up in my bed in the dark by myself. Mm. And no one else knew that. So 95% mm. of it was positive, was, oh my God, uh, I'm so sorry. We're glad that you're still here. You know, they would ask, you know, what happened or why, you know, what brought you to that level? But there's a couple of people that's like, oh, I can't believe you did it. And I'm like, seriously, yeah. that's the response I get. What do you mean right. that you can't believe that? I? Do you know what I've been through? Before you ask that question, you know, ask me, hey, you know, and that goes back to this. Uh, you see the commercial on all the time. They go, just go up to one of your friends and be like, hey, are you okay? Mm -hmm. And that's all you have to ask somebody. Hey, are you okay? Are you doing okay? That little, little phrase resonates. But, you, you know, you don't want to, uh, you know, attack anybody with, uh, you know, those type of questions. Or, you know, we don't like to say, you know, uh, you know, commit suicide. We're not committing a crime. And you act like you're committing. A, it's not a crime. Oh, it's a cowardly thing to do. That's the other thing you're going to get. 
And that's one thing you never say to anybody. You never come out and say, well, and I had, I had, uh, I can't remember who it was, a guy, a friend, a guy. He goes, man, you're a fucking coward. I'm like, seriously? I'm a fucking coward because I want to take my own life. Do you realize that shit was so bad that I was so fucked up mentally that I didn't think I had a way out? And that was, that's where you get. So what people understand when you're in that moment, whatever that moment, whether you're an ideologist, like you said, you think about it for weeks or days, or you just do it on a snap decision. You're like, fuck it. I'm done. I'm out checking out. There's no peripheral vision. You are in a black tunnel. You are in a black hole. The best way I can describe it, it's blackness, sheer blackness. There's no sound. There's no light. There's nothing. Mm. Because I was to that level where I didn't think that my life meant anything. You go through with, no one's going to miss me. My life doesn't matter. Uh, I'm not important. I don't feel loved. I don't deserve someone's love. This is all the things that go through your head when you're on yeah. that, when you're on that level. But it's not cowardly. That's it's just the only answer you think at that time that you have, rather than go out and be embarrassed, because a lot of it is embarrassment. Who's gonna, like you said, you can't get people to talk about it because they're embarrassed because they come out and they don't want people to know. Hey, I'm a politician, but I went out and tried to hang myself in my garage. Who the fuck is gonna share that? Nobody wants to know because it's taboo. It's yeah. taboo in our society. Addiction, depression. Nobody wants to be labeled as different. So no, we're not going to talk about it. You need to have the courage. And I'm not saying to do Zoom calls or live videos, but find somebody. If you're going through anything, to all your listeners out there, I don't care what you're battling in the mental health spectrum, find someone you can confide in and talk to. It can be a professional. It can be a loved one. It can be a friend. It could be a fucking stranger that you may just have this chance encounter with that could blow you away. But get it off your chest, please. So you have people in your life from what you shared that you, you can get your stuff off your chest. Absolutely. I have, uh, I have a very, very strong network uh, of loved ones. I mean, my boys, my middle son. So Nicholas was in the Navy uh, for four years. And when he came back, he actually told me we had a moment where we shared that he was battling depression and he thought about just jumping off the ship because he couldn't swim. He was in the Navy. Don't ask me why he joined the Navy. He couldn't swim, but um, I didn't know that. And that's something that we share as a father and son, because now I can help my son. Not only can I help all these other people, but now it's, it's something that hits home for me that it really beat me up inside that my son was going through this. And I didn't know because he was so far away. But when he did share that with me, I gave him all the kudos. And I said, you know what? I am so proud of you for being a man. And he is one of your big masculine, big power lifter beard. You know, he's one of those man's men. And I said, you were able to come to your father and say, dad, I'm dealing with depression. I thought about taking my own life. And I'm like, I'm the person to come to. This is something, this is what I was put here for. Not just to help people, but to help my own son. Yeah. And now we have a, a stronger bond than we've ever had. And what brought us together was being able to share that we had a mental health breakdown and we were able to come together as a unit and support each other. And that is fucking amazing. Mm. Yeah, that is really cool to hear. What's the stuff that you're into? How did you get started? And what, what does that look like for people that are hearing this? Well, I uh, decided that I found my calling, I guess, after my father passed away. I just felt I could, I could touch people. And this is what brought this whole story about in, in, in my life story and to share with people. Uh, my dad and I didn't have the greatest relationship near the end because he had remarried. I didn't like his new wife, yada, yada, yada. And we sort of had a falling out and, and, and fell out of uh, communication. We got together around Thanksgiving and uh, with the family, and I sort of surprised him. And my father was a very big man, 6'4", 290-pound giant of a man. Mm. And when I walked up, he hadn't seen me in like two years. And I came up like through my sister's basement and came up the stairs, and he was in mid-sentence, and he just stopped. 
and he came up and he gave me this big hug. I mean, my father could crush my ribs with it. I mean, just the way he grabbed the, but it was one of those moments that no matter all that time that passed, no matter I let, you know, her come between us. He let, you know, it was more my fault. I blame myself for that. And we were able to get sort of back in connection. And then, you know, Christmas Eve, he got admitted to the hospital. He died in February of mesothelioma. Actually, it was ended up being uh, the uh, sepsis ended up killing him. And I had that one-on-one with my dad the night before he passed. And he went to tell me he loved me. And I said, Dad, it's okay. He couldn't talk. He was intubated. And I looked at him and I said, Dad, we're all good. We're all good. They always worried about me. I was the black sheep. And once he saw my, my now wife, Katrina, he knew I was okay. And I said, dad, if you need to let go and you know that I'm good now and Katrina's here by my side and, and I'm going to be okay, then it's okay to let go. Just forgive me for a second. I, it always, when I talk about my dad, my dad was like my world. And uh, so after that, I came up with this concept and it's on my head. It's called four S for life. And the four S's stand for strength, struggle, sacrifice, and survival. You can apply it to anything. I came up with that. I came up with a logo. I made some t-shirts. I started donating money to um, charitable organizations around me. And then I realized that I wanted to be the one to be able to hand them that check, you know, to help out with what. So I got my 501c3 nonprofit through the federal government. Uh, I am now an official charitable organization and we raise money and, uh, you know, we were raising money for a lot of different things, but we also do free support groups in our community. We have, I have an anti-bullying campaign, become a buddy, not a bully. Uh, where we talk to kids and parents and educators about how to notice the nuances of bullying, how to, how to approach it, how to attack it, and how to come together as a unit. And mm. not just the parents push it on the teacher, the teacher pushes it on the parent. They need to come together, all three components, and work through it in solutions. So that's one of the arms off of the foundation. We have the Conscious Men's Group, uh, which we just talked about. That's where men come together. Uh, from all walks of life, it's open to any and all men. doesn't matter what your race, your your sex, I don't care what you, you know, what your background is, doesn't matter. You come together, two rules apply. You check your egos at the door and we're all on the same level when you come into that room. So it doesn't matter if I form the group and you walk in, I'm no better than you are. We all have issues. We all have uh, dreams and aspirations. The point of the group is to get together with men and know that it's okay to share everything and anything in a safe and secure environment. And then you bring that home to your relationships, your families, your loved ones, and it shows you how to approach them in the same manner so you can have those conversations with your wives and your children. We have a domestic violence support group. We have a couples cancer group. And we have a ton of groups that we do right here in our community. So, wow. How long has that been going on? Uh, I got the 501c3 last year. And then we started our groups. And then, of course, COVID came in. So we're slowly getting back into it. But we've done some other things, some things in the community. We uh, opened a community store for elderly and uh, low-income people where I took donations in and opened a store, like a makeshift store. And we fed 1,300 families, 105 first responder staffs, 350 senior citizens in six backpack programs. So I did that. Uh, I just did a Santa, a Santa event last week where we handed out 500 stockings to children in need and 460 bags of cookies. I dressed up like Santa Claus. It's all about the build positivity in the community. And I can get people to donate because they know I, I, I'm just out there doing it. I'm, I'm out there. I'm not just talking to talk. I'm walking to walk. Mm. And I try to do as much in, our, in my community as I can to help as many people as we possibly can. It's all about adapting to this new COVID thing. I can't raise money. I can't do my gala or you know the fundraisers we want to do. So we give back in other ways. And that keeps us in the forefront and in the local eye. So when things get back to normal, 
then we can really attack it. So I'm in the rebuilding process now where I'm adding some new positions to the board, rebuilding the website, getting our podcast back up. And when spring hits, we're going to be fucking balls to the wall and ready to roll. We're building in silence right now. So uh, we have some, some big things coming for uh, spring of 2021. What, what is your work? Is that associated with this type of stuff or totally separate? Oh, I'm, I'm actually a salesman. So I actually do sales for a living. (laughs) This is that, that nonprofit thing is just a whole separate entity. Right. I'm thinking with that and like, you just must be got a lot on your plate. Keeping busy. I embrace the chaos. If that makes sense. It keeps me mentally grounded. If I keep Mm. myself mentally busy, it helps me with, with what I deal with. And I, and again, I still fall into a depression every once in a while around certain dates, every couple of years, it'll, it'll start to creep up. And I, I I try to catch it, you know, it it keeps me busy, but it also gives me a sense of purpose. And when I'm out there and I see the people that I touch and the people that come up and hug you, it's brought me to tears several times. I mean, the stories and it just warms your heart to know that I can touch so many lives and and all the lives that I've touched. I never thought that this would be me. I was a guy that was getting bar fights five years ago. I was, I was a fighter. I would get in fights over nothing. I would just go out and crack people. You know, I didn't care. My wife was, she'll tell you, you get her on one of these shows and ask her how much of an asshole I was back then. And uh, I just turned my life around. It was all possible. It's possible. I'm wondering how the lockdown has affected you. As I said, I found ways to keep myself busy. Um, And that's where I did the, uh, the store and the feed the front lines. And the thing was, is I kept so busy that near the end of it, I think I had the store open for about a month and a half. And finally my wife came to me because I was doing my job and then I would go, I'd have donations coming in. I opened a separate account off of my, my nonprofit uh, organization account. So it was separate and it was just used for, you know, community uh, the community store and to feed our first responders. So basically what it did was I had the store, but then I had what was called feed the front lines. And what that was, was if you donated $50 to me, say you came to me and you're like, Hey, you know what? I want to donate $50 to, to feed a first responder staff, whether it be uh, EMTs, cops, firemen, whatever. I would go to a small diner or local business that was struggling, buy the food from them. So it was twofold. You're mm. buying food from them to keep their yeah. lights on. And then you turn around, you feed the first responder staff. So I would get up in the morning, do my job, sales, whatever, go in, shop for the store, go up, stock the store, stay at the store all day. While I was multitasking on the phone to get things set up, I had more people came out to help. And I told you, I had people that were delivery drivers that sponsored the store that dropped off stuff at the store. But as I explained to people that are in other nonprofits and other businesses, and they said, we don't know how to get through this. And I said, you need to learn to adapt. You sit down, you come up with a game plan. You can still do the same work you did before. You just have to tweak it a little bit. And you have to use your, it's all about, you know, going with the times. It's sort of like being in a, in a, in a boxing match. You know, you go in there, you go into round one, bam, bam, bam. You learn from your opponent. Okay, you know what? He leads with his right. He's doing this. He's dipping a shoulder. Okay, I know how to attack it. Same concept. So I just kept busy. It helped me a lot. Was was doing all that. And the more I dove into the nonprofit work, I kept myself so busy, nothing was able to creep in and bring those negative thoughts back. That's part of it. You French? Yeah. Could you tell by my name? <laughs> just just a tad? So sort of open-ended. They're out there. Any uh, Anything you want to say to them? This is a very tough time of year for anyone out there. And this, this will go out to anyone that's listening that has either made an attempt, has thought about attempting, as you said, or even the support group, whatever that may be. This is a tough time of year. I mean, the holidays are always tough because people have lost loved ones. Um, up where I am, it is the winter. So, you know, those it gets darker earlier. Uh, that always brings depression on with a lot of people. So it's a very tough time of year. And now with COVID. So you have a lot of different things going on. So what I would say to people, if you 
if you uh, need to get something out, please talk to, to, to anyone, you know, get it off your chest. Don't suffer in silence. There are plenty, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, there's nothing out there. There's no help. I'm going to tell you right now that's bullshit because there are tons of people out there. You have to make the first step. I don't care what you're dealing with. I don't care what part of it. You need to seek out that support. And it's okay. I don't care if you're a man, woman, child. It's okay to go to someone and say, look it, I'm hurting. I'm in pain. I'm worried about myself. Can I talk to you? You need to get it off your chest. To the people that are the support system, I ask you to just listen to these people, whoever that may be. Just listen. You don't need to offer advice. You don't need to go up and hug them. I know that's the first thing you want to go up and hug somebody or kiss them on the floor. Just listen. Let them get, just ask them, are you okay? Or is there something you want to talk about? It's okay to talk to me. Let them get that off their chest. You're going to see that resonate within them because it's going to be like a load just came right off their chest. Mm -hmm. Then it's okay to say, hey, you know, do you want my opinion? Uh, let's work through this together. Make it a team building thing. You know, that's what a relationship truly all about is, is about being a team. It's not about, you know, a husband and a wife or a husband and a husband, wife, and wife, whatever it may. You're not two separate entities. You're one cohesive unit. That's what makes a marriage work. My first marriage didn't work because we weren't cohesive. There wasn't anything there. My wife and I now are a very cohesive unit. The love is deep. It's genuine. I mean, I don't know that I could live without her and she doesn't know that she could live without me. I honestly believe that she is my true soulmate. Mm. She is who has kept me here. She is the reason I am here. Without my wife, I would not exist. There would be no, this is not me talking to you right now. There's no foundation. There's no nonprofit. There's nothing. Without her, she is the reason this was founded and this was founded. And I'm sitting here right now. My wife is the true hero in this story because she didn't freak out, which is the easy thing to do, especially when you walk in on someone trying to commit suicide, to take their own life. And I give her kudos for that. She grabbed the, the first thing she did was grab my, you know, grab my wrist with both hands, but talk me down as she was pulling the knife back. She kept talking to me in that nice, calm voice. It's me. It's Katrina. I love you. Nicholas needs you. Tyler needs you. They love you. She was bringing me slowly back into that, into reality. And then when she finally got me to lower that, I think I actually broke down and cried, but we just never talked about it. Mm. Bottom line. Get it out there. There's plenty of support groups. There's all kinds of hotlines. There's tons of support groups all over the world. There's people such as Sean that do this show. Uh, he was, you were talking about Timothy Patrick and Will. They're great people. AFSP is a great organization to reach out to, uh, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Yeah. Uh, you can reach out to me. I mean, my 4S for Life page. I know you're going to plug it anyway, but my page, yeah. my 4S my personal, I answer all messages. If you want to talk, I don't need to know who you are, where you're from. If you just need somebody to listen, I'm offering that to anybody out there that, that is going through anything. doesn't even have to be just suicide, depression, addiction, being bullied, any of it. Please reach out to someone. Bottom line. What's the shirt say? I don't think people are, I, I asked you earlier. Hashtag man, man up, up not, not shut up. And basically what that is, is men need to speak. Don't worry about being judged. And you know what? This actually took off. I have people stop me in stores going, that's awesome. And I'm like, eh, you know, it's just. It's direct and to the point. Man up, not shut up. Yeah. How'd you meet your wife? Uh, actually, in a bar. Okay. You were, <laughs> yeah. Did you, get a, did you get a fight that night? No, actually, we were both working. I was actually a bouncer, and she was a bartender. And the funny thing with my wife and I is the year going up into us starting the date, we disliked each other. I thought, honestly, I thought she was a bitch because she, my wife's a very beautiful woman, but I always thought she was like, uh, above herself. Like, she'd be leaving. I'd be like, hey, good night. She's sort of like with this like attitude. I'm like, wow, what a bitch. 
And mm. then when I would come in, she would think I was an asshole. She's like, man, he's conceited. But there was always something there. Like we would always flirt. So about a year later, I was with my buddy, Rich, and we were, she was working at the bar. And I said to him, I go, hey, come on downstairs from it, down this lower bar area. And he goes, where are we going? I go, don't worry about it. So I went up to her and I just said to her, I, I go, Katrina, I said, would you let me take you out to dinner sometime? And she said, yes. Here we are, 15. I mean, you know, people say you can't meet in bars and we have the same attitude. She's a very fierce woman. She's a very, uh, she loves deep. She's all about family. She's passionate about what she does, but she has always, the old adage is behind every man is a good woman. Well, my, I want to tweak that and say, my wife stands beside me because she is my equal on every level. And I put this post up several times. She doesn't stand behind me. She stands right by my side, which is where she should be. There's mm -hmm. no standing behind me. She's not a lesser person. She's an equal. And it doesn't matter if I make more money, she makes more money. I'm the male. She's the, it doesn't matter. What makes it work is you understand that we are equals on every level. And I love her with every bit of my being. And, you know, I finally accepted that I do deserve her love and her heart and her soul. And she deserves mine. And, and yeah. that's truly what it's about. Well, she saved my life, literally saved my life. Hey, is, do you think there's any chance that you might try again? You know, I, I uh, honestly like to think that I would never, I think where I am now, um, I don't think anyone can honestly say they would never try. Like you said, I think that's always in the back of your mind, no matter what you do. I mean, even an addict. I mean, I've lost cousins to heroin overdoses after they've been clean for five years and they have a bad day. They do a normal dose and bam, they're gone. So I don't think it would be fair to say that. I know that I can say hundred percent sure that I would never be in that, uh, in that spot again, but I would like to believe that where I am now with the work that I'm doing in the community, with the support that I have from the community, with my wife, my children, my grandson, I have another grandbaby on the you way. You have a grandson? Right? Yeah. Almost. He'll be uh, six this year. So Bryce, he's awesome, you know, and uh, you know, I'm content with where I am. So I don't think the bad days aren't as bad anymore. I still have tough days, just like everybody. I wake up and getting older, other shit hurts. You got a new pain every day and something else, your body, you know, something, your back hurts, your knee hurts, this hurts. But is it that bad? You know, and then I look at my wife and I'm in awe of her beauty and just her and her in general. A fair answer would be, I'm not going to say I'll never be that at that spot again, but I, I'd like to think that I can combat it and I have the right support that will diffuse any type of negativity on that level once again. That's awesome, man. I will definitely, we will include information or a link to 4S for Life. Yeah. My final question before we part ways is uh, what brings you joy? And you can't answer anything you've talked about. I know your wife, for example, is amazing. I want something different. Here's something way off the, the spectrum that I will say. Good. The things that bring, the thing, the one thing that does bring me joy, as odd as this may sound, is we have five standard poodles, okay? My wife breeds dogs on the, on the side. And standard poodles, if you don't know, are very highly intelligent dogs. What brings me joy is when my wife's at work and I get to sit on the couch with my dogs and I have two females, the two of the younger females are daddy's dogs. Uh, Karma, of all things. We named a dog Karma, of all things, right? And we call her Snugglebug because she's, she's like the biggest snuggler in the world. And Lexi is the other girl. When they come up and they sit on me and they snuggle with me, it takes all the pain away. It mm. takes every, every negative thing that happened in the day. I don't know if it brings me joy, but it makes, it makes my heart happy. It makes me happy just to have that moment to be able to sit there and they just want to be around me and they just want to be on me and they just want to snuggle. And that's it, man. That brings me happiness. That's the mm. one thing outside the box that brings me happiness. And they yeah. don't need you to be any other way. 
I'm thinking about that. Like, man, what's not to absolutely love about that? That's unconditional love. They don't ask for anything from you. They just want to please you. They want to be around you. They want to be a part of your life. So mm-hmm. in fact that they've been this quiet because my wife's at work and they're upstairs. They've only barked once and you don't even know that I have five dogs. They're upstairs. No idea. We're good, man. So thanks again. I hope your, I hope your weekend's good, man. Well, yeah, as you as well. And down the road, you ever want to talk about anything else, man, reach out. Cause I, I love uh, doing these and I love, you know, just helping as many people as we can. So thank you for that, that chance to share my story. I appreciate that. Anytime, man. Man up, don't shut up, right? That's right. All right, brother. Uh, have a good weekend. Thanks again. You as well, brother. Have a good day. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and special thanks to Jacques in New York. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com. You can also reach out on social media on our Twitter or Facebook pages at Suicide Noted. Stay strong. Do the very best you can. And I will talk to you soon.